The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Glad to see you all here today. Go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them to Judges chapter 13 and 14. We're finally at my favorite judge, Samson. Good old Samson. Um, This past week, actually every Wednesday, I go to Cappuccino and Company in town and I work on my work on my message there. And um, each week I have I have a conversation with somebody for about 30 minutes who doesn't go to church anywhere in town. And this past Wednesday, when he walked in the door, he said, um, he said, hey, how are things going? I said, they're going well. He said, are you still in the book of Judges? I said, yeah, we're getting ready to talk about my favorite one. We're getting ready to talk about Samson. And it was funny because right away he was like, oh, as in Samson and Delilah. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a perfect illustration for me to talk about on Sunday morning. Right? Because our, we talked about this several weeks ago when we talked about Gideon when we read from the children's book, right? Our, our thought and our understanding, oftentimes, of who the judges are, of who the people are in the Bible is kind of the highlight reels, right? Samson and Delilah, we, we know who they are. You don't ha- even have to be a Christian to know who Samson and Delilah is. But my hope is by this point in the series, as we're going through the book of Judges, my hope is that this, by this point, you are starting to look past, look past the Bible as a greatest hits. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and they talked about, you're starting to look past the Bible as something that's filled with one-liners and heart warmers. Heart warmers, not heart wormers. There's two very different things. <laughs> but the Bible, the Bible is not filled with one-liners or heartwarmers. See, there's danger in us thinking about the Bible is set up that way, that it's highlight reels. What happens is it starts to make these characters larger than life. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever read about something that someone did in the Bible and say to yourself, like, I could never achieve that? One of the things I, um, I appreciated about the Grandparenting Summit a few weeks ago, Reggie Joyner said, I look at the, at the families in the Bible and I feel better about mine. I don't know about you, but if you're looking through, if you're reading through the book of Judges and you're wondering sort of where you are in your struggles and in your hardships and your realities and where you are in your faith and where you are in your obedience to the God of the Bible, the book of Judges tells you that you probably ought to feel a little better about yourself. Right? Because we are, we are, we're not these people. And the thing is, the highlight reel is really deceptive to us. The highlight reel is really attractive to us. That's why we spend an hour looking at Instagram. Because we see all of everyone else's better life, all of the things, the images that they project about themselves. We see that TikTok reel where it's like a 15-second phenomenally coordinated dance move and we don't realize that it took 25 or 30 takes to get that right. What we see in other people's lives are the highlight reels. And I don't know about you, but my life is rarely a highlight reel. My life is rarely a greatest hits. And Judges is not a highlight reel really of anything but chaos, death, and destruction. And faith. And 
the fact that God works through all of these people, all of their sin, all of their choices, all of their bad decisions. What we're starting to see is faith. And we're almost ready to talk about why people like Jephthah, why people like Barak, why people like Samson are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go ahead and read Judges uh, chapter 13, 1 to 25. I'd love again for you to follow along with me as we do that. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The woman ran and told her husband, the man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he told me you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food, for your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about the son who is to be born. God answered Manoah's prayer, and the angel of God once again appeared to his wife as she was sitting in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her, so she quickly ran and told her husband, the man who appeared to me the other day is here again. Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may pre prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? For when all this comes true, we want to honor you. Why do you ask my name, the angel of the Lord replied. It is too wonderful for you to understand. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and, op and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. As Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die for we have seen God. But his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. When her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him when he lived in Menahadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtol. See, we're not introduced to any other judge in this way. 
There's not any other judge that has four chapters dedicated to talking about his story, so we ought to, we ought to pay attention. But this first part of the story ought to ring some bells for us. If we're, if we're familiar with the Bible, if we're familiar with Scripture, some of this story is going to sound a little familiar. There's a woman who can't get pregnant, and she's visited by an angel. Think Sarah and Abram from Genesis chapters 16 and 18. Think Zechariah and Elizabeth from Luke chapter 1. They say, you're going to have a son who will do something great. In Sarah and Abram's way, it's you're going to have a son who will carry on the family line, father of many nations. He'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. In Sarah and Abram's case, there's a meal made. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're actually given very similar rules about how their son was going to grow up. Maybe you know him as John the Baptist. See, these things are not, not accidental. They're not coincidental. What's happening when we're reading through the Bible is, is we're being coached to look at things in certain ways. We're being coached to see things and to make connections. I want you to imagine for a moment being Manoah's parents or being Manoah and his wife, being Samson's parents. Think about how they would feel being given specific instructions about how they are to raise their child. How many of you parents would love specific instructions about how to raise your child from God? Like, wouldn't that be wonderful? Being told that he was going to be a deliverer? My guess is, if you're his parents, you're thinking about a lifetime of highlight reels. You're imagining like when Samson's eating breakfast, you take a picture of it, you post it on Instagram, hashtag no raisins. <laughs> right? You're thinking about all of the things going on in Samson's life as he's growing up, his first words, his first steps, his first sword swing. Like all of the things that were needed for Samson to fulfill his purpose. And that's what's going on in this text. In this very first introductory chapter to the life of Samson, we're seeing two things. We're seeing an identity, and we're seeing a purpose. So let's talk about identity for a moment. Um, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and they, they talked about we get identity from three primary places. The first place that we primarily get our identity from is from within us. We are who we say we are. As we watched a few weeks ago again, Josh Mulvihill talked about the predominant religion in the United States is identity of self. He said that self is God, happiness is the goal, and feelings are the guide. And I wonder if as you look out on the world today, don't you see that? Don't you see people defining themselves as God? Don't you see people defining themselves as happiness, as the goal? Don't we see people for whom feelings are the guide? It's not about what I think. It's not about what the Bible says. It's not about maybe what, what truth or history or any of those things tell us. My guide is feelings. Well, there's a second place that many of us get our identities from, and that's from others. This is equally as dangerous as the first. 
Because when we find our primary identity in others, what we're seeking is approval and affirmation. I need you to affirm me. I need you to approve me. I need you to affirm my choices so I can know who I am fully. See, these are very dangerous things. And then lastly, there's an identity from up. And this is, believe it or not, this is the space where we want to be. We want to get our identity. We want to find our primary identity from God. And we're going to talk more about this at the end, but our primary identity is made in God's image. And here's, here's the thing. If we place our primary identity as coming from any place else other than God, then, then what that's going to look like is, is, well, my shirt. So, like, this was intentional. Okay? If, if my primary identity comes anywhere else but from above, that's the first button. You know the first button's the most important button on your shirt. If I find my primary identity from what others tell me, I'm buttoning my shirt wrong, and I'm going to look like this in public. Everything I do is going to be skewed. If I find my primary identity in what I say it is, I'm off. I need to start with an identity that comes from God. And when that happens, and my bottom button is right, because let's face it, like no one ever gets this button wrong. If my primary identity is found in who God says that I am, my life is going to be straight, identity-wise. I'm going to have a strong foundation And Samson's identity was given to him by God. And it was really simple. Dedicated to God. That's Samson's identity. He's going to be dedicated to God. But he also had a purpose. His purpose was to begin to deliver uh, Israel from the Philistines. I love that word, begin. I find that so freeing. Because sometimes we think that what we start, we're going to finish. Sometimes we think that if we don't follow, follow a discipleship process through with everyone from start to finish, then we think we've somehow failed. We forget that we're just a part, and Samson is just a part in this. He's going to begin to deliver them. And again, think about Samson's parents for a minute. They probably had really high hopes for Samson, just like we would if, if, if an angel of the Lord came to you and told you that your son or daughter was going to do some great, amazing thing, like your, your expectation set would be through the roof of what God was going to do. Reggie Joyner talked about this. He called this the better picture. And then they're given instructions, and, and, and we tend to look at those instructions like if Samson's parents do this, do this, do this, and do this, then everything is going to be great. And I think a lot of us fall into that same place, don't we? We fall into that same trap of the better picture. 
And it seems like, and with judges, doesn't it always seem like? Isn't that kind of a dangerous statement to make? It seems like they were obedient. It seems like things were working out in the way that they thought it was going to go. It says, the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. The Lord blessed him as he grew up. But for those of you who have been here for the past few weeks, you know that things are not as they seem. Let's begin reading chapter 14, just verses 1 to 3. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman from among our tribe, in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. You see what, what kind of shirt Samson's wearing at this point, right? He's finding his identity and his hope in something else. And what Samson does is he, he takes this beautiful picture that his parents had of him off the wall and basically smashes it on mom and dad's head. A few months ago, we asked all of our kids. Our kids were together in Oklahoma. John had gone down to Oklahoma. We asked all of our kids, because they're all together, we said, this is what we want you to do. We want you to take a picture of our whole family that is going to be suitable for a Christmas card. Parents, like those sound like pretty good instructions, right? Suitable for a Christmas card. This is the picture we got. <laughs> Two of the kids are not wearing shirts. One of them is in underwear. We're like, Christmas card. <laughs> so our son John used Photoshop poorly in an attempt to, to save the photo. We'll show you that one here. And while we were there, a few months later, we tried for some individual pictures, and that didn't work out much better. <laughs> and those are the pictures we're using in December on our Christmas card. We've told them. Like, that's what, you, that's what you're going to get. See, we, we have in our minds, we have in our minds that a relationship with God involves a better picture. We have in our minds the idea that we have to be perfect. That we have to look perfect. We have to act perfect. We have to appear perfect. It's what we think that God wants. And I want you to imagine the, imagine the disappointment of Samson's parents. But for some of you, you don't have to imagine that. Some of you have, have poured time and effort into the lives of your children and in the lives of your grandchildren, and they just go rogue. They do their own thing. And I think this is the space 
that Samson's parents are living in. But it's not just Samson's parents or, or parents. I think we all live in this space. We think we've convinced ourselves, well, if I read the Bible, if I pray every day, if I show up at church, if I go to Sunday school, if I do all of these things, right, then my life is going to be perfect. If we follow the rules, if we live under the idea of that better picture, everything's going to be perfect. Life is going to work out fine. And the thing is that the disappointment and the frustration of that often then crushes us when reality hits. Some people lose faith and they walk away. Some people double down. We came up with this phrase on Thursday night in our small group. They, they continue in the projection of perfection. So I know my life is a mess, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to work really hard to show everyone else that I have it all together. We come in here on Sunday mornings and we, put, we show that beautiful picture every Sunday of who we are. Our entire life is this highlight reel that we know isn't reality. I think we've convinced ourselves that if we don't, put, if we don't project that perfection, then someone's going to look at us and they're going to think that Christianity isn't true. Because after all, aren't we supposed to be better after we become followers of Christ? Aren't we supposed to be changed? Aren't we supposed to live lives differently? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. But we've convinced ourselves that if, that if it doesn't look right, it's not right. And we're afraid of what that means for other people. And then that, starts to, then that starts to sink deeply into us. And we start to think, well, because I'm not perfect, God could never use me. I have to attain this ideal in my own mind of what it looks like to be used by God. And if I, don't, if I don't match that standard, if I don't meet that expectation, there is no way God can use me. Well, have you read Judges? Let's, let's read this again. We're going to go all the way through the end of 14. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Her father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. We're going to come back to that. As Samson and his parents were going down the Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the giant's lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. When Samson arrived at Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of a lion. As his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was the custom for elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. 
Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. That kind of sounds like Zane and Cody's bet earlier, doesn't it? All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Isn't the Bible awesome? (laughs) Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears. You don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. So before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson replied, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. (laughs) Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon killed 30 men, took their belongings, and gave their clothing to men who had solved his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Two questions. How many of you are waiting for Delilah to show up? Like, that's the story we know. There's the highlight reel. And how many of you are still wondering why I think Samson is the biggest something in the Bible? Like, he's a piece of work. Samson is off the rails. I want you to listen to verse 4. This is key. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. This is something else Reggie Joyner said a couple weeks ago. He said, God doesn't use perfect people, perfect pictures. He uses real people. God doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses real people. Samson like all of the other judges in the Bible, like all of the other people in the Bible, is going to be exactly who he is. He's not going to be more than what he is. Samson is certainly not going to be less than what he is. This is not about God doesn't want us to be transformed and live transformed lives. He absolutely 100% does. But see, God knows us. He knows who we are. He knows that we are real people. And God is not after a better picture. God is after a better story. God has a better story for Samson, and we see it. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. 
That doesn't mean that everything Samson did was okay. It doesn't mean that God was pleased with everything that Samson did. It just means that the Lord was at work in it. And there's a story that's better than Samson's picture created him by his parents. That image, that Instagram post. See, God gave Samson an identity. And it was simple. You're dedicated to God. Samson, that's your identity. Be dedicated to God. And some of you know where this is going to go. God's given you an identity. God has given you an identity. Genesis 1.27 says, So God made human beings in his image. Identity. That's, that's, the, that's the first button. That's the very first button of mankind. Made in God's image image. And if we miss that, if we get that identity wrong, then, then like this shirt, the rest of our lives are going to be completely distorted. They're going to be off. They're not going to look right. They're not going to feel right. I mean, I don't wear shirts like this anyway all the time. But this isn't going to feel right. Missing our primary identity is going to put us at odds. It's going to put us at odds with God. It's going to put us at odds with one another. It's going to put us at odds with ourselves. And here's another part, another crucial part of our identity is Jeremiah 1.5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. You know how amazing that text is? That God knew you? Not after he formed you, not after he created you, but before he formed you. He knew who you were. Like, that's first button identity, isn't it? That God knows who you are. And not just because you've done things, but because he formed you. And Sam, God gave Samson a purpose to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And you know what? You have a purpose as well. You have a purpose. God's better story is that you have a purpose. We hear Jeremiah 29, 11 all the time. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Let's put that in context for a minute. Let's remember this story. God's people have been taken away into captivity and they're dealing with the hardships and realities and situations and circumstances of their life. That's where this whole thing is ending up. Like if we were to follow through the rest of the story in the Old Testament, after the book of Judges, the people are going to get kings they're going to think that's going to solve the problem, right? If we just had the right leader who's going to fix us, who's going to give us rules, we promise we're going to listen, we promise we're going to obey, and the kings honestly make the judges look like it's amateur hour. And the whole time, God's telling them, okay, here's your king. Your kings are all going to fail you. 
Yeah, but we really want a king. Okay, you can have a king. If you don't obey them, I'm going to... You think what happened in Judges was bad. I'm going to take you away to Babylon. I'm going to lead you into captivity. And like the people have done, because human nature is human nature, they disobey and they ignore and they hold God at arm's length. And finally God's like, okay, done. Babylonians come in. Jeremiah is one of them. They're in Babylon. And he hears the Lord say, "For I, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Eventually the people are going to return home to the promised land. I hate to break it to you. It's not going to make a bit of difference. See, this, this text is, is not a motivational text to send us out into the world to make money. We hear Jeremiah 29, 11 used that way all the time. God has plans to prosper me. He's going to put some money in the bank. He's going to give me a nice car. He's going to give me a nice house. Sure, whoever said that, sure. See, that's not God's plan. God has a purpose that's deeper than that. The future and the hope that God is talking about is only found in him. It's going to be fulfilled in Christ. And Jeremiah, you know, like we do, we, we think short-sighted. If we can just get back to Israel, if we can just rebuild the temple, if we can just do this, we can just do this, we can just do this. God has a purpose for us. He's given us an identity. And if it's wrong, you're going to get your purpose wrong. Yesterday I read Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. Isn't that awesome? We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Isn't that amazing purpose? Isn't that a better purpose than making money? Isn't that a better purpose than having nice things? See, God knew exactly what Samson was going to do. Don't, don't misunderstand. God knew who Samson was. He knew exactly who Samson was. But God doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses real people. And I think some of you need to hear that God knows exactly who you are. Exactly. 100%. He knows who you are. He's not filled with regret that he chose you. He's not filled re with regret that he saved you. He's not filled with, re with regret that he delivered you. He is not sitting in heaven at a little round table with Jesus and the Holy Spirit looking at you and be like, oh, what are we going to do now? It's not, it's not what God does. God knows exactly who we are. And if God can use Deborah and Barak and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson, and we have only scratched the surface of Samson's story, 
He can use you. He wants to use you. That's not the question. The question is, will you allow him to? See, will you see past your ideal? Will you see past your perfect picture, your need for a perfect picture to embrace God's better story? That's the question. That's what we all have to wrestle with. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, like this is your shirt. Um, and the reality of it is your first button, button's up here, which would look even more ridiculous. I'm not talking down to you. I'm not trying to be condescending to you. I'm trying to explain to you why you feel like your life is off. I'm trying to help you understand what's happening and what's, what's re- reality in your own life. And what it looks like is you acknowledge the reality of your imperfect picture. You admit to God that you are a sinner. He knows. He knows. That's the key. We're not telling God something he doesn't know. He knows. We're like, well, then why do, why do we have to tell him? I know I talk a lot to parents. We have a lot of parents in the room. Parents, don't you know when your kid does something they're not supposed to and you know it's them and you ask them, why do you do that? Because you want them to acknowledge reality, right? Because they're not going to be better, be changed, be different until they acknowledge reality. And until and unless we acknowledge our sin before God, we can't be made right with him. We can't be fixed. We need to ask his, for his forgiveness. We submit to him as the Lord of our lives. We demonstrate this through baptism. Like, this is what it looks like to become a Christian. Someone about a month and a half ago said, what, we, in small group, like, we keep talking about that you have to be saved. What does that mean you have to be saved? I don't understand that language. I just described it to you. Being saved means we acknowledge we're sinners. We want to trust the Lord Jesus with our lives. We repent of our sin. We're baptized and we live a new life. And then we spend the rest of our time on earth allowing God to bring order to the chaos that is our lives. That's called sanctification. I don't use a lot of Christianese words, but that's what that is called, sanctification. That means I start off, God looks at me, he sees me through the lens of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, I'm justified, I'm perfect, I'm good, and then I'm gonna be sanctified by him and I accept my new identity and purpose. I put to death my old self and my old sins and I live through him. And we don't do that under our own strength, that's where faith comes in. Did you hear that? Because if I do all those things, I'm just going to create a new perfect picture if I do it without faith. It's a perfect picture of what I have done. I'm going to look back on my life. Look at what I have done. I used to do this, and now I do that. There's no Jesus in that. There's no faith in that. 
You start to rebutton your shirt with that primary identity as made in God's image. If you're not a believer, have you made that choice? Like this, to me, this sounds like a really good deal that I have an identity and a purpose in my life. And some of you are going to think you can have that without being a follower of Christ. You might do some meaningful things in your life. You might have others acknowledge you and affirm you with accolades. But you may not be living God's purpose. Imagine if Samson had been the perfect little boy. Little Sammy growing up to be a big boy, preacher. We wouldn't have the story that we have. If you're a Christian today, maybe, maybe you're tired of the, projection, uh, of the projection of perfection. Maybe you don't actually know Jesus. Yikes. Maybe what you know is a perfect image, is, is, a, is an image, an imagination of what you think being a follower of Jesus looks like. And it's the checklist. If that's you, your move is going to be similar. Repent. Acknowledge that you are living a projection of perfection and not the story that God has for you. It's okay to not be okay. You need to hear that. There are sinners in this room. In fact, every single one of you. No matter what you have fashioned for your life to be seen as perfect, you're a sinner. Saved by grace, yes. Being transformed by Jesus, yes. But your life isn't perfect. And as Joe talked about earlier today, we have, we have people that have been coming that are new every single week. And the last thing they need to do is to walk into a room of perfect people. They don't need to see a perfect picture. They need to see people living out God's story for their lives. And maybe the other thing you need to do if you're a follower of Christ is just to ask the question, are you living your purpose? Do you recognize the work that God has for you? Are you fulfilling that purpose imperfectly? But are you fulfilling that purpose? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful for stories like Samson because they, they tell us that we are not perfect. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be yours. We just have to be obedient. We get to be who we are through you with your strength, with your power. God, I pray for those who, who don't know you and who want this real identity, that, God, they would, they would find some humility and submit to you. God, for those who are projecting perfection in their life, because they think that that's what matters, they, they, they're afraid to be revealed for who they really are, a continuing work in your son. God, I pray that they would repent of that. That they would turn from that self-righteousness. 
and agree with you that your story is better than a picture. And for those of us who who aren't living out our purpose, God, speak to us. Call us to live out our purpose. Invite other people into our lives to come and talk to us about our purpose so that we can fulfill what you have for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.